The scripture reading this morning comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 13 to 23. It's found on page 2 of the New Testament section of your Bibles. The escape to Egypt. Now after they had left, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and flee to Egypt, and remain there until I tell you. For Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother by night, and went to Egypt, and remained there until the death of Herod. This was to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. When Herod saw that he had been tricked by the wise men, he was infuriated, and he sent and killed all the children in and around Bethlehem, who were two years old or under, according to the time that he had learned from the wise men. Then was fulfilled what had been spoken through the prophet Jeremiah. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing and loud lamentation. Rachel, weeping for her children. She refused to be consoled because they are no more. When Herod died, an angel of the Lord suddenly appeared in a dream to Joseph in Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel for those who were seeking the child's life are dead. Then Joseph got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. But when he heard that Archelaus was ruling over Judea in place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And after being warned in a dream, he went away to the district of Galilee. There he made his home in a town called Nazareth, so that what had been spoken through the prophets might be fulfilled. He will be called a Nazarene. Morning, everybody. How y'all doing? Yeah, like a third of you answered that. How y'all doing? (laughs) Good. I had a treacherous drive getting here, just to let you know. Um, I live in the greater Detroit area, and when I was leaving my home this morning, uh, there were times where my visibility on the highway was less than 200 yards in front of me. The rains were that thick at that time. Interestingly enough, the further west I came, the lighter the uh, rains fell, so hopefully uh, it'll be a much easier drive when I go home this evening. Before I go into this morning's meditation, Would you all take a moment and pray with me, please? Amazing and a loving God, in this hour, in this place, I ask that you grant to me the gift of preaching, where the meditation of my heart, the words of my mouth, bring glory to you, O God, my rock and my redeemer. And to the beloved who are gathered in this house this morning, I ask to them that you grant the gift of hearing, that in our time in which we engage your word and meditate upon it, that we are able to have our minds opened, our souls stirred, our fellowship enriched, and our witness empowered. I ask this all in our Son's most precious and holy name. Amen. So let me ask, did you all have a good Christmas? What was it like? How many of you were surrounded by family and friends? 
How many, uh, did you all do a Christmas Eve service here? How many of you enjoyed it? How many of it found it relaxing, peaceful, a service that allowed your soul to become regenerated? Anybody feel that on Christmas Eve? Ah, it's rubbing on my face. That's what that is. Okay. I certainly did. For me, this was one of those rare years where I was not serving as an interim pastor someplace. I was just being Paul with his bride Anju and their brat child Avi. And if you met my son and you engaged him, you'd realize he can be a brat sometimes. He's proud of that, by the way. When I'm serving in a church, Christmas can be a somewhat stressful time for us because not only are we trying to get everything done for each other and our friends, but I'm also scurrying to finish up last-minute details that I was sure I would get to but never did. I'm usually hunkered down in my study. I'm usually wanting to make sure that my Christmas Eve sermon and the sermon after Christmas are just right. I abhor having to run around and get those last-minute gifts that I forget when I had the time to relax. And like so many other clergy that I know, when Christmas is over, I look forward to taking some time to rest and recharge. Not this year. This year, I was able to enjoy the season as a participant instead of someone who helps facilitate it. That was until I opened my email this past Thursday morning. It read, to Paul Prokoska from Sue Anderson, regarding pulpit supply for First Baptist Church of Jackson, Michigan. I thought, now at the time, I'm sitting on an exercise bike at the gym, and I looked at my phone and said, oh, I better open this little tidbit and see what's going on. And it went something like this. Good morning, Paul. I was looking at it at 3 o'clock in the afternoon. My name is Sue Anderson. I'm the administrative assistant of First Baptist Church of Jackson. We are in need of someone to preach at the service this Sunday, December 29th. I'm going to attach the email that Dallas Flippin, our pastor, sent to the other person. However, comma, that person is ill and unsure he will be able to join us. Full stop. I'm also sending emails to a couple of other people in order to have a plan B in action. Period. New paragraph. Let me know if you have any questions and or would be available to help us out on Sunday. I can be reached, yada, yada, yada. I am in the office, in t- office until 1.30. Oh, it's after 3. Thank you for your time and considering in helping us. I look forward to hearing from you. I better stop cycling and do this phone call. <laughs> the calm of my Christmas came to an immediate end. I was interrupted. I was displaced. I was challenged. And in the normal time that I like to prepare for a Sunday morning meditation, my process was incredibly threatened. This interruption didn't necessarily come from the email that Sue sent me or the fact that you needed someone last minute to come in and do pulpit supply. You know, give yourselves a break on that one. Things happen. 
This one came from the fact that I heard God whispering in my ear and tapping on my shoulder. Paul, you need to do this. And I sat there and went, okay. So here I am. On this Sunday after Christmas. Hoping that in my frantic preparation, there's a good word here. A couple days beforehand, I was talking to a colleague of mine who pastors a church in a very small town. They were describing to me how their candlelight service was worthy of being placed in either a Hallmark movie or at least a Hallmark moment television commercial. Everything, he said, was perfect. Snow had fallen earlier that afternoon, leaving a shroud of tranquility wherever one looked. A member of the junior high school program played an angelic arrangement of what child is this on her flute. There were three generations, a grandmother, a daughter, and a granddaughter, who lit the advent candles during the service. The church sang, O come all you faithful, away in a manger in a little town of Bethlehem. They read the story of Mary and Joseph and the baby in the manger. It was at that time when they were reading the story and my friend was getting ready to stand up and give the meditation that a man we'll call Danny, his beeper went off. Now, Danny, <laughs> yeah, I hear someone chuckling already. Danny was a member of the volunteer fire department and when his beeper sounds, it often does so on Sunday morning in worship. He would run out of the sanctuary to serve the needs of the community. Now, for the most part, the church had gotten used to it, but my friend, the pastor, said, it's rather disconcerting when you're in the middle of a pastoral prayer. Then as they started to sing Silent Night, and just as they got to the part of all is calm, all is bright, Danny comes running back into the church and shouts that the mother of one of the church members, it's her house that is on fire. The church members, whose mother's home was on fire, along with his family, gets up and leaves, immediately followed by Danny's wife. She wants to offer support. Everyone now left there in the service was faced with a choice, either stay and listen to the Christmas meditation or quietly slip out and see what was going on. By the time my friend got to talking about Mary and Joseph in Bethlehem, the congregation had dwindled down to those few who were either waiting for a ride home or those who had fallen asleep. My friend's perfect Christmas violently went up into flames. In my friend's opinions, He believes tragedies should politely wait until after the new year because they just don't fit into the perfect Christmas calm. Then again, neither does King Herod. In Matthew's Gospel, he gives us a series of horrifying events, and they don't feel like they belong with the joyful celebration of the Christmas story. The most difficult character in this cast of the Christmas pageant is King Herod himself. 
For the skullduggery of Herod interrupts our anticipation as we remember to celebrate Christ's birth and give thanks for God's grace coming into flesh. In the eyes of many, Herod simply has no place in the Christmas story. Just go shopping for any Christmas decorations or cards. We can find a variety of nativity scenes to put on our yard and light up or have on a small or large table figurines. But if you look at the variety there, there is no King Herod in that scene. Take a look. Tell me if you see one. We don't. No Christmas card reflects the words of Matthew as he's capturing the words of the prophet. A voice was heard in Ramah, wailing in loud lamentation, Rachel weeping for her children. She refuses to be consoled because they are no more. The malevolence of Herod doesn't pair very well with the heavenly host singing glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill towards all. But Matthew believes it does. If he did not, he would not have included it as part of the Christmas story. Matthew is telling us about the perniciousness that interrupts our perceived perfection, the solace we take from the calm and the celebration that Christ our Savior is born. It is a vital part of the story that gets overlooked. And like so many good stories that are told to us, in order to completely understand what the author is revealing to us of our God and our Savior, we need to review the entire story, all of it, the stuff we like and the stuff that sickens us. Especially those parts that make us squirm in our seats. So to completely understand the meaning of Christmas, we have to follow the experience of the Holy Family as they experience their migration of haste from the serenity of Bethlehem and journey to that place of last resorts resorts the first century Jews knew as Egypt. Jews in the first century only went to Egypt if they had no other choice, if they had exhausted all of their options. They would retreat to Egypt. Within this, the true story of Christmas admits that even in the midst of blinking decorations, flickering candles, and angelic singing, darkness threatens the light. If we ignore the darkness, then we ignore the reality of its presence as well as its impact on our own journeys of faith. So if we leave Herod out of the Christmas story, it insists that the idea that hardships in the real world should be kept out of Christmas, that it should be perfect like that Hallmark card. It can only be genuine if it brings calm to our hearts, our minds, and souls. But Matthew is powerfully intentional in telling of Christ's birth. That Christmas came in the days, in the days of King Herod's rule. This is a person whom record records as a treacherous, malicious, paranoid tyrant. 
He consistently refused to take any responsibility for the suffering that he caused of others. If he believed that he was right, he was right. If he believed he was justified, he was justified. If he perceived anything or anyone as a threat to his crown, their days were immediately numbered. This applied to anyone, especially the members of his own house. Under his rule as king, innocent people were persecuted, punished, and killed at his command. And as long as the Roman Empire received their yearly tribute of payment, they did nothing about it. To them, that was strictly an internal matter. But when I read the story that includes Herod in Matthew, there's a part of me that wants to ask the question, if the angel of the Lord could have warned Joseph, why didn't the angel of the Lord warn all the other parents whose children were put to death as well? Matthew doesn't come close, doesn't even attempt to answer that question with one that would make me feel better. What he wants us to know is that just because the birth of the Messiah came and took place, suffering in this world does not stop. In fact, when Jesus confronts people who value power more than having an ongoing relationship with God, the suffering of Jesus and his followers is guaranteed. Rejection. Isolation, invalidation, and just simply having their backs turned on us. It's not surprising that we skip that part of the story. Why there's no carol written about the slaughter of innocents? Perhaps there should be, because Matthew wants us to know and understand that the Christmas event is God actively responding to the cries of our hearts, the sorrows of our souls, the humiliation of our hurts, and the inconsolable imperfections of our Greece in sending his son to this world. That part of the story we're accustomed to leaving out, to the sadness, the suffering, and the death It is just as important to the celebration of wonderful counselor, mighty God, prince of peace, that we believe Jesus to be. The darkness we ignore means that we struggle to truly understand why this child is born unto us, this holy child of Bethlehem sent by God. But it is done so, so we can feel the love of God. We are people who will be blessed when we feel lowly, beaten down, and disadvantaged in this world. We, the people who will have no hope in a world who sees the brokenness all around us and is so fully affected by it. We, the people who do not push back and we don't strive, we don't try to cheat or scheme in order to be successful. The people who want to want more for this world, more justice and mercy and kindness and truth for the people of this world. People who are eager to condemn 
people who are not eager to cast judgment and condemn others in this world, but who assume the best and seek to understand so they can be quick and whole in their forgiveness. Folks who have been corrupted by this world, who have not been corrupted by this world, who can still see the beauty and wonders amidst all the tragedy, have our hearts inclined towards which is right, loving, and good. A people who seeks reconciliation between God and themselves, between friends and neighbors. People who punish through suffering times bear a little shame. And in order to pursue the kingdom of God on earth, because they do this, they can receive it. But to really understand these blessings, we need to remember the story Matthew told. All of it. Not just the birth, but the suffering as well. God sent his son to come to us in our worst possible places and in the most painful of circumstances so God could share in our suffering to take care of us amidst our tragedy. God has come not only to join us in our sorrows, I mean, Christ comes not only to join us in our sorrows, but Matthew wants us to know that in the birth of Jesus, we no longer have to face this suffering and pain alone. We no longer have to feel isolated and dejected because there is a God who says, I love you for who I created you to be, and here is my son to help you understand and feel that love. God sent his son to uplift us despite the tragedies and evil that happens in our world and around us. So for me, this celebration of the holy season reminds me of the promise that God's joy is so much deeper and so much greater than our sadness. That ultimately, life in Christ is more powerful than the things that fear us, like the unknown tomorrow or how our lives will end. And while the perfect image of our call may be interrupted, we see in Matthew's gospel how the light of Christ shines immediately in the darkness that surrounds his birth and all the other chapters that come afterwards. For me personally, with that understanding in mind, having God show up and sign his light and show us out of our tragedy doesn't seem so bad. Having the calm interrupted to allow me to see the totality of God's story in the worst possible circumstances, well, to me, that is truly worth celebration and praise. Would you pray with me, please? Loving God, help us to not take away only that which we want to of this Christmas season, but confront us with that which we need to learn, the steps that we can take to grow closer to you and to each other, the roadblocks and obstacles we should overcome to free us to be the living witnesses of your Son's light 
and vessels of your grace in a world and a time that so desperately needs to hear it. We ask this in the celebration of your son's name. Amen.